0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Movie Fail Podcasts. Um, I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and we're going to be discussing "The Lion in the Rose," the second episode of season four of Game of Thrones. Um, so, I guess to just um, to get started, you want to just I, most of this episode took place in King's Landing, right? So,
1: yeah, I mean, there's the big thing we can talk about, but maybe we yeah.
0: should save that and talk, get some of this little stuff out of the way first. Right? Exactly. So, yeah, why don't we start there? Um, uh, yeah, the no, episode opens with uh, Theon and Ramsay. Oh, right, yeah. So yeah. so how did you feel about those scenes in the last season, actually? We never got to talk about that.
1: Yeah, I, They. the thing is, because uh, they, they're new. They're not in the books. Um, we don't see Theon for that period of time in the books. We pick up with him right around now. And so they're all invented. And I, on the one hand, I get it, like, where he's been gone for, you can't have him gone for a whole season in the show because he's been such a presence on the show. Right. You know, but they really think they got tedious after a while because they were really kind of the same thing over and over. Um, when now the stuff we picked up with is actually kind of, is, is, is more interesting. It's a lot more interesting um, because of this whole kind of, he's very broken down and uh, despondent and the scene where he has, uh, where he's shaving Ramsey is uh, just is fantastic just it's a really a uh, a really great scene. So I think the direction that they're going in with that character at this point is a lot more interesting than mm. just kind of the on and on and torture torture right the endless torture.
0: You know I I um so last season that was actually one of my least favorite parts uh because I was um and again I didn't read the book so I it wasn't because it wasn't didn't feel organic. It felt perfectly organic to the show, but I just was like, you know, how much torture do we have to watch? You know, it was horrible to, to, to watch. And the worst... Okay, so I had this really visceral reaction where I was really not into those scenes at all. And I was just on a, a website, and there were a bunch of commenters who were like... Um, uh, who were defending... They, you know, they said, you know, I don't feel bad for Theon at all. He deserved exactly what he got. And I was like, <laughs> I was like wow, that's an interesting yeah. perspective... I don't about exactly. Right. And 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 I'm I'm sitting here going I understand you didn't like Theon and 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 I don't really like Theon and he did a lot of terrible things and he killed kids for the purpose of making himself look better and you know like he did, he was a he sucked. But honestly, really? He deserves to be tortured and in and, and castrated and really? I don't know. I was just yeah. I don't I don't know how anybody could actually like I I mean maybe that's my own like personal political beliefs, but I just that seems kind of, uh, excessive, you know, cruel, unusual, pun- and unusual punishment at, like, to the extreme, in that case, so I don't know. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, going into this scene in the, in, in season four, I was, I thought it was cool, because Joe R.R. Martin actually wrote this episode, so, um, so while he didn't write those scenes in the book, um, he certainly, uh, was willing to write them into the show, and, and I guess believes that they're rather important now, because um, he sort of just continued it, uh, with the with the hunting of the woman in the, in the forest in the first scenes. And I thought it was pretty much, it was a good scene in that it was exactly what you might expect for, um, this Ramsey character. Uh, but I still found it rather off-putting, uh, considering, you know, and, and it's like, you know, I, I know, I know Game of Thrones is like devoid of morals and everything, but it's just, I don't know. It just seems to go beyond the pale for me. But, um, but I am interested to see how, uh, how um Ramsey and, and the whole uh, problem with uh retaking Winterfell works. But I guess we'll have to see.
1: Uh yeah, and this is um this is probably the furthest uh that the show has gotten into the books. I by the way. Oh, okay. Uh we when we pick up with Theon again and it's in book five and it's he's Reek now. Right. Uh so the chapter it the this is maybe something we'll get to Later in the show discussions, but the chapter titles in the books are all just the character names that's right. from the point of view of. So when we pick up with Theon again, it's Reek. So we it takes us a little bit of context to get who it actually is, since ah. he has been in the past two books.
0: So it's all implied what happened then. It's
1: all. Yeah, and, and he has been uh, literally brainwashed. So he does not, like, he he's repressed Theon, that whole identity. And he's just, he is
0: kind of Reek. It's interesting you say that because I think. Uh... Theon does react or reek, I guess at this point does react a little bit to hearing that Rob died. Um, some, some people have said that it was not like a real, re- you know, it was a, it was barely a reaction. And I guess it's a barely a reaction. Compared yeah. I mean, it to, was restrained. Yeah. Compared, compared to what Theon might he, have. I
1: think it was a, it affected him in a pretty intense way.
0: Right. Exactly. And I think there was a purpose to that. Clearly there was something that, um, that might come up later. I don't know. Um, so that was interesting, and, and so it was interesting to sort of catch up. And the other thing that was cool is that we got to see uh, Ramsey with his father so that anybody who's unclear who the characters are and how they're related to each other can sort of get that because it, it was clear to me, but I, I like, really had to pay attention in this series <laughs> like who's related to who. So it's good to see characters together just so you can really hammer it home because uh, unlike a book where you have people's names constantly given to you, here we're just given faces and we have to associate them on our own. Yeah. So, I thought it was going a good scene. Um and then after that um was that was that uh Dragonstone?
1: Yeah, we get a little bit with uh, Stannis and Davos and Melisandre in this episode. Just kind of another kind of leftover checking in from the premiere. Right. Basically is what this is. Uh so you know, it's really nothing we haven't touched on with these guys before. We get a little bit more with Stannis' actual wife, which is interesting right. because I think you, a, a show watcher might be forgiven for forgetting that he actually has a wife and isn't just, you know, with Melisandre all the time, because right. we almost never see her. And that's true in the books, too. So it's it's interesting that we get a little bit of her and uh, we revisit his daughter as well. Uh, we get, like, I think Davos gets, like, one line. We get a little bit more about the religion, but not too much, just kind of reminding us that these characters exist.
0: Right, and, you know, in some ways, I, I feel like that's how we all feel about the characters right now, so... Perhaps yep. it was appropriate, um, but yeah, and, and you know they even had to remind us in the you know uh, previously on Game of Thrones, and they had Stannis' wife, and you're like, oh right, he's a wife, <laughs> right, okay. Um, I'm most intrigued by the daughter. Um, I actually am really intrigued by her, but um, we've seen so little of her. Like to me, she's the most interesting part of the Stannis storyline. Like I care not that much about everybody else, but but the daughter in relation to the Onion Knight, and um, it's all just very interesting to see them all together um and like their, their like little, little small interactions and so seeing the daughter meet Melisandra and seeing the daughter meet um the onion knight and all these different characters uh to me those are the most interesting parts because stannis is just kind of a curmudgeon and not i don't know i'm not i'm not i'm not terribly invested in their storyline but i guess they have time to uh
1: yeah well stannis hasn't made so much progress since the end of season two i guess that's sort of
0: the problem yes that's a huge part of it um it's been a good season and a half of him doing not a whole lot or not a season and a <laughs> half, but about a season. Um, right, and then I guess I guess the predominance of the rest of the episode.
1: Well, we have a little bit of Bran.
0: Oh, right, a little bit of Bran, right. We have this uh, vision. A little bit of Raisin Bran.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, again, kind of a check-in thing. But he, the important thing is that he has this uh, uh, vision when he touches the heart tree. Right. Which is uh, set up for the direction of the rest of of the rest of the season for those characters, because now that they, now they, they have a direction, he, they have a specific place that they're go that they going, or at least they think they do. Um, well, the vision was mostly stuff that was... It's mostly recycled stuff. Um, but what I really liked uh, was that great shot of the dragon flying over King's Landing, which had been
0: in all the trailers. Right. Which, you know. For the first time, it's finally in the actual episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: And not and not an actual thing that's happening, which is probably disappointing for some people.
0: Right. Um, well, you know, there's yeah. always time, I guess. Um, <laughs> one of the big one of the big things, though, I, I liked about this moment is, um, you know, we finally are getting a little bit more. So I didn't like just before this, where. Um, so there's sort of there seems to be a lot of exposition and like reminding the audience that he is a warg and you know he shouldn't be doing his warg thing for too long or he'll end up you know forgetting he's human and I don't know it just seemed really hammy to me so i wasn't I wasn't too into that um to that moment, but I did like that scene where he touches the tree um and and you know and you hear this voice, you're not sure where the voice you know what the voice is, and he's like, I know where we're going and i'm like i don't I don't know where we're going but <laughs> but it to me it's at least it, you know his goal of getting to the wall was kind of. Not nearly as interesting as this mysterious like vision he seems to have just had. So I'm actually invested at this point in that. Um, one thing that I will point out in that vision that I thought was really cool is that he briefly sees the throne room at King's Landing, yep. um, and it's all snowy and broken, and it's the exact same. <laughs> it's the exact same scene that uh, Danny saw in the end of season two, yep. when, when she's in the House of the Undying. Right, exactly. So I thought that was really cool uh, that there was this parallel imagery uh which he had no part of previously so that was cool Mm. um i don't know how that's going to play into things but i thought that was an interesting uh parallel um and the other thing i just i just want to point this out because it's it it's funny to me um isaac Hempstead, right who plays bran is uh gets so much older every season like (laughs) oh
1: my god he's enormous now yeah
0: he's like like an adult and and it's only supposed to have been like not that long so it's kind of funny mostly because you know when there was Like, big things happened. You could sort of be like, oh, there's been a time jump. But, like, he's still in the forest, and he seems to have gotten way larger, and it's just funny. Um, I think it's easier to more adult.
1: It's maybe easier to hide for them because he's getting carried around all the time. Right, right. He's not standing up and (laughs) and showing off how much taller he is than everyone now. Right. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty apparent, especially if you go back and look at the first a season that he is much older
0: now. Oh yeah, yeah, much much older. And even just compared to last season, I mean he's just he's yeah. his, his face is becoming an adult face and everything. Uh not that I, I think it matters all that much ultimately, but um it's just that that did amuse me. Um but yeah, so then uh, after <laughs> after Bran we uh I think we head to King's Landing, right?
1: Yeah. And the rest of the episode is all in King's Landing. There's a lot of fun stuff going on. Um well right off the bat we have Tyrion and Jamie kind of chatting right. and yeah. you get more of Jamie's uh, problems and identity crisis and stuff. And Jamie starts training with his left hand to fight with his left hand with Braun. Um This is a, it's a fun. The show gives Braun a lot more to do than the books do.
0: Right? It's ill Payne in the books, right? It's I ill Payne. pain, somewhere. and that
1: actor is uh, uh, dying of cancer. Yes,
0: yes, that was uh, which is
1: why he couldn't be in. He had a part in the wedding too that they changed as well. Uh, cutting the pie, but that's different. Anyway, but yeah, so that's that's unfortunate, but. It's interesting. I like I liked Dylan Payne in the book because the whole point is that Jamie can say anything to Dylan
0: Payne, right? And he can't tell anyone because he doesn't because he has tongue. no tongue, right. yeah.
1: But I like I mean, I like Braun as a character. I think Braun is I think the showrunners realized that Braun would be more fun, was really fun to watch and fun to write for them, probably for sure. So they so that he they you know, I don't blame them for uh uh giving him this role. And it's you know, that this the scene, as brief as it was, was fun, so.
0: I actually really, I really enjoyed it, and, and I think that, um, well, I'll get to that in a second. The one thing I like about them switching from Illyn Payne uh, is that they, the, Illyn Payne, really hasn't been a character since the first season, and he's in it very, very briefly. So yeah. um, it would felt, you know, it feels more organic to have a character who we know pretty well, who's done other things, and is sort of Tyrion's go to guy to do it, as opposed to Ilan Payne. Um, I understand the, but I also understand the, the advantage of him not having a tongue for the fact yeah. that he won't tell anyone. Um, but personally, I, like, think the idea, and I think they're going to have a lot of fun with this if they continue it uh, after the events of this episode, um, is the idea of Bronn and Jaime hanging out. Uh, they're both kind of... Um, s- not smarmy, I guess that's not the right word. They're, they're just... They're smartasses, so, like, I think it, it'd well, be... yeah, they're it, both a little
1: arrogant. They're little
0: arrogant. arrogant. They're both very talented swordsmen, and they're both... Um, I just think they they're like, they're a good fit and you can get a lot of good snappy like in in Game of Thrones for um the dialogue is is generally quite good and strong uh but it's rarely like snappy and quick it's usually Tyrion being snappy and quick and everyone else trying to catch up with him um and occasionally Cersei gets in a good line uh or Jamie or Bronn but mostly but between Tyrion and Bronn they usually have some good um back and forth and I think that it that same thing could happen with Bronn and um and Jamie but, uh, what I really liked about uh Tyrion and Jamie getting together uh in the very beginning uh was that you know this is the first time a sort of a reformed jamie if you if you will um gets to talk to Tyrion who's like been the only one trying to do the right thing in King's landing uh so I thought it was really cool to see them together, and Jamie doesn't seem to have any ill will towards him at all unlike his sister uh so i thought I thought it was really nice to see them together and not be in any way sort of. Antagonizing one another, even though Jamie was sort of self-defeating. Like Tyrion was being genuinely kind to him and was really trying to encourage him to try again. And then he often offers the services of his, you know, cell swords. So I, I, I like that scene a lot. I thought it was an, an important well, they, family scene.
1: Yeah, they've always had a good relationship on the show, especially on the show
0: too.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did. I do think it's important in the wake of the last episode. Uh, which was all about the Lannisters tearing each other apart. Right. Um, we have this one scene where it's the only two characters who aren't in that family who aren't at each other's throats. Right. Who are gen Who do you know? Genuinely love each other and want to help each other out. Um, so it, it is a good scene. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I like that scene, and I really like the scene. Maybe my favorite scene in the whole episode is this breakfast that we have with that Marjorie and Joffrey host.
0: Ah right.
1: This um, is what is, is a great scene in the book, and they play it so well on the show that Tyrion gives Joffrey this very rare uh, book called "The Lives of Four Kings." Right, um, and Joffrey's reaction is it, it's it's incredible because he's so Joffrey's his petulance has evolved to the point where, like, he he's, he doesn't just have to act, you know, bratty about everything. He he actually has apparently realized that he can, if he appears not bratty, the you know then he can be a jerk later and it will have more of an impact on people. So when he accepts Tyrion's book really nicely, it's off putting to everyone, right? <laughs> and it's off putting to the audience.
0: It and was that, course, really he, freaky, and and also yeah. to the guy before, um, to uh, uh Marjorie's father, right? Uh, uh yeah, Mace Terrell. yeah. Right, and so he's he's he's. Genuinely kind when he receives that gift, even though he seems like kind of an idiot. Um, <laughs> and then and then to Tyrion, he, you know, with a quick glance from uh, Tywin, he seems to be rather kind for about five seconds. Uh, I was really, it was <laughs> freaky to me as, like, a viewer, because um, Jack Gleason's just so good. He's just yeah. really, really good. He
1: He's just, he really nails that part when he chops up the book. Oh, yeah. Oh no, he I, but,
0: and not just that, I mean just throughout the whole series, he's just really, oh, yeah, yeah. he's 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 killed it. No pun intended. <laughs> um he's just an he's excellent. He was excellent as a kid, as he's sort of grown into a more of an adult, he's still excellent. So, yeah, I thought that scene was was great and uh, Tyrion's face and it it does sort of hint at the conflict they run into later in the uh, in the episode. Um and it's and it's also interesting to note the way Tyrion treated um Jamie in the last episode was mean, but not nearly as cruel as he treats Tyrion in this episode. So I thought that was also interesting. Um,
1: yeah, it's uh, because he has this power over Tyrion, just right. it, just innately that he he feels innately,
0: he believes, yeah, right.
1: Yeah, and then now he, because of uh, Jamie's situation, he has that feeling towards Jamie now, which I think is where that came from in the last episode. Right. Just this feeling of well, I not just because of not just because he's the king. But because now this person is weaker, you know.
0: Right, right, and because you know Tyrion's a little person, so he has this. Yeah, yeah, it's um, all about power. And that's why he would. He's
1: much more careful talk, when talking to Tywin, who is so imposing.
0: Right, right. Who, while he, you know, perhaps he believes he's better than he, also is rightly a little bit concerned that Tywin is really pulling the, the strings, and so yeah, there's clearly a power dynamic there. Um, so then, uh, I believe that, uh, after this is, is, uh, is it the back and forth with, uh, Shay?
1: Yeah, he, Tyrion try, gets Shay to leave, which, it, it's a really, it's a really sad scene. And, um, uh, Sybil Kikili, who plays Shay, I really haven't liked her performance in previous seasons. I think this season she's really stepped it up. Um, and she's fantastic in this scene. It's really just, um, something we talked about last week was her being kind of unable to understand but also refusing to understand the situation that Tyrion is in Right, Um, and so it is really sad that that the way that Tyrion kind of has to treat her in order to save her Um, and she kind of knows that but she also like it still hurts it's it's a really it's a sad scene and um you can see like <laughs> through the whole rest of the episode and every single scene that's hanging over Tyrion. That's like one more thing.
0: Oh, absolutely. But I will say this, um, and it's not helpful. That, so I, I put, I put, I love Peter Dinklage as an actor. I loved him in the station agent and I really love him in game of Thrones. I think he's hands down in terms of just powerhouse performance in the show. I think he's my favorite. Um, so it doesn't help that she had scenes with him, uh, in previous seasons, And uh, because I would say uh, Sybil Kakele is also the weakest actress on the show, um, or actor, I think, in general. Um, So I think it hasn't helped that she's had almost all of her scenes with uh, Peter Dinklage, who's so, so excellent. (laughs) And um, I actually, it's funny that you said that. I I do think she's been a bit better this season. Um, But A, I haven't cared about their relationship since season one. It was really interesting in season one. But now that they're in King's Landing, it just seems like this anchor you know that's really prevented Tyrion from doing a lot of things and kept him, you know, sort of on edge. So um, to me, it hasn't been nearly as compelling as as I guess the showrunners seem to think it is. Um, so that's part of it. The other part of it is I, I I honestly just don't think her performances have been that great. And and this episode, it's funny that you really like this scene. I think Tyrion's perform. I think uh, Peter Dinklage's performance of this scene was excellent, and he's really communicates the subtlety of his you know you know, go, you know, like, telling her to leave, even though he obviously really loves her, um, and I think that that really helps, and then there's some very, uh, you should watch the scene again, there's some very clever editing to cut it so that, you know, however long it took uh, uh, Sybil to, uh to cry on command, I don't know how long it took, but they cut it very weirdly so that when they cut back to her, she's already crying, but there's no like <laughs> transition moment. It's a very weird because I was watching, I was like, "Oh, how are they going to do this?" This is the first time she's had to express emotion outside of like irritation or anger, so I was interested to see how they would do it. And they just cut it really strangely so that it it looked right, but it's also it didn't feel nearly as organic as I might have um, as I might have hoped personally. Um, but ultimately, I'm happy with that scene. Uh, it was actually my least favorite scene in this episode. Um, but I'm ultimately happy with it just because it removes Shay from the picture so that it's just not a thing anymore. That's my personal um my personal uh, little rant about that moment. <laughs> yeah, um yeah.
1: So uh everything else was the wedding.
0: Right, the wedding. <laughs> and <laughs> this is Which is no no big deal, I and mean, it wasn't that important. I mean it, yeah, I mean,
1: it was much. a quick scene, but um, yeah. <laughs> The wedding is is constructed in such a funny way. It's kind of like just everything leading up to the that final moment is right. like a murder mystery. Right. It totally is. It's like it's like a game of Clue. It's <laughs> you set up you set up all the characters who are here, and you get all their reactions to what's going on and the way they're feeling. And for all we know, any of them could be behind it. Um, and so it's really, it's, it's constructed in such a funny way. And if you go back and watch it, just the way that like, we get these conversations between these characters and the way they look at each other. And, uh, especially during that, uh, the jousting.
0: Uh, oh yes. Right, right. Right. Which is
1: incredible. And it's slightly different from the books, but I think much improved.
0: Right. Yes. No, I, I, so I, I did a little bit of homework comparing the book to the, to the show and. Because there was a there was a wiki that had all this information. And uh, so they did change it a little bit, but I do think it's improved. Um, but the other thing that we know about this this episode, um, well, what, what was cool about this scene is that there were a lot of conversations that didn't happen in the book. And I think it was good, to, you know, like Jamie and Brienne aren't even at King's Landing at this point. They haven't even arrived. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, there, so there are a bunch of like timeline things. But I think it was good because you had so many different... First first it it, it gave Jamie a chance to be completely impotent because even if he had his sword he wouldn't be useful in this you know in um in what eventually ended up happening at the at the uh, at the ceremony but even even then um like it's just they've they've set it up so that every single character there pretty much hates Joffrey or they hate the Lannisters or whatever you know Oberyn's there and he's was set up last episode as this guy who you kind of expected to just I don't know kill someone randomly um turns out all he did was you know Become incredibly passive aggressive, um, but but you have all these characters who really just dislike um, the Lannisters, and and so you're constantly wondering about this, um, you know what's going to happen. Uh, honestly, personally, I thought, uh, especially given our last conversation, me and you, I mm-hmm. had thought that um, uh, Sansa might actually snap at this uh, wedding, which to mm-hmm. me would have been a, a very appropriate thing to do. Um, she honestly yeah, look, yeah. and I think I think the the there was an intention there because if you see those scenes, they really focus on her as she's like really uncomfortable with what's going on. And when Tyrion goes under the table to get the cup and she like reaches down to give him the cup and get, gets it for him and then gives it so he can be the cup bear. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly thought she was going to give him a knife or something. You know, I was fairly sure that that was going to end with Sansa's, uh, bloody oh, yeah. hands. Uh, but I, but I guess not. Um, i was... mean the
1: the thing about joffrey as a character which i think um they never used a better effect than in this last 15 minutes uh is that he's so unpredictable yes he's the one character i guess well now we have ramsey i guess but he's the one character who's just he's such a wild card that you no know, anything you say could just it could set him off like when the when the uh Performers finish, and he was talking, and he's about to give them the money, and then he doesn't. Right. For a second, you're like, is he gonna just have them all killed for no reason?
0: Can right. I cut? thought they were gonna have to fight to the death, or you know something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: and because that's just the thing he would do. And obviously, watching this, I knew it was gonna happen. Right. Um, but I, when I watched it, thinking about you know what if I didn't know what was about to happen, I the show is kind is really pointing towards something. Bad happening to Tyrion in that moment. Oh yeah, just in terms of just the, the way the music well. Ultimately, is going. it is.
0: It is something yeah. about that. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah,
1: but you're, I was kind of thinking like he might if die. I do not yeah. know what was going to happen. I might think that like they're going to kill Tyrion right now, just because of, just because of the way the scene is building, right? Um, and obviously they didn't, but it didn't end well for him, <laughs> no matter what. But so there was such a great uh, you know sense
0: of tension. Yeah, no, exactly. It was,
1: definitely... it was very tense and very just the, the build of those last 20 minutes were just phenomenal
0: it was, um, one thing I do want to ask you about and I want to know what your opinion is um, on this sort of relationship, do you so I, it's my understanding that the Brienne Jamie relationship is very ambiguous in the book and that they made it pretty clear here that she for some reason is like in love with Jamie um, when she has that conversation with Cersei, you, was that something that I've heard people criticize that scene, so or that moment, and I am just wondering if you have any thoughts. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I, I do kind of because I mean like if that's the direction they want to go with that character, then it doesn't really it doesn't break anything. I don't think it breaks the character mm-hmm. because they are they are close in the books and they do have not a romantic affection for each other, but clearly a mutual uh, respect. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the, and it's so to have a Boil down to something like that is kind of um, a little uh, too basic, I think. But on the other hand, we also—it was very clear that she was in love with Renly. Very clear, right? So it makes sense, kind of. Well, know, she like was the, in
0: love with she was in love with Renly, but I never got the impression it was necessarily romantic. She seems to have this very like she associates like loyalty and and commitment with love so she'll be like i loved him you know but it to me I, I was i didn't assume it was like in this case it seems very clear especially since it's cersei who's asking that she is in love with him as opposed to you know she loved catelyn she loved you know renly she you know and she and to me actually so i don't think it weakens her character i, I agree it is more basic and it's unfortunate that we don't have this platonic relationship like we've talked about before uh in true detective Um, and the potential for that, you know, season two where we don't have this like, um, male, female platonic relationship. That's just genuinely, they're just friends and have mutual respect for one another. Um, but I also find like this weird obsession with loyalty and serving someone also a little bizarre as, like, a real-life character motivation. Like, we know romance is a real-life character motivation for, like, just people in the real world. Um, whether or not it's, you know, it, it is also a cliche and is a constant fallback, um, certainly, uh, for a lot of television shows, but it is a real thing. Um, however, I would have been willing to see, you know, there's also, like, men and women who are just friends, and I think that also would have been nice to see. So, uh, I thought it was interesting. I also thought, the reason they brought it up was because of Cersei and Jaime sort of falling out with one another. So um, that was sort of an interesting a moment. Um, it also was an interesting moment between Sir Loras and, uh, and Jaime uh, <clears throat> yeah. when discussing um, Cersei as well.
1: This is this the scene. This, this episode in particular is great because it's the most characters we've had in one place since season one. Right. Um, this is the first time that we had like. <clears throat> so many characters just bouncing off each other. Like there's this <laughs> that amazing moment where with Loras and Oberyn kind of making eyes at each other right. hysterical. Um, and again, that's something like, it's an example of something you wouldn't get in the books. Um, uh, just because like, even if that was something that happened in the book, um,
0: that perspective might not, exactly. It, there's right. no
1: saying that, that Sansa would have been paying attention to it or whoever was, to, or perspective, perspective it was. So that was a fun moment. Um, and yeah, it, that moment, especially between Loris and Jamie was interesting because uh, it's not it is about Loris, but it's really about using what we know about Loris to develop who Jamie because Loris is is uh, Jamie's making fun of Loris initially, right and Loris very quickly turns it back around because um, the uh, secret romantic affections are. Probably even in Westeros, less taboo than Jamie's. Right. So he very quickly turns it back on him and, and shuts him down.
0: But there's also seems to be not very much um, like there's no real secrecy. I feel like at this point about their relationship uh, yeah. between Jamie and, and Cersei. He just he doesn't even deny it. He's just like yeah, uh, you know. So um, so yeah, I thought that was a cool scene and also a scene. Obviously, we wouldn't get in the book because. Apparently Jamie wasn't even there, which I, oh, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. <laughs> um, but all these scenes are like not in the book, which, or, or at least not now. Um, so uh, yeah, so I guess we'll get it, jump into the final moments and, and really talk about Joffrey.
1: Yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about Joffrey. Um, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is exactly how I dreamed it would be. Yeah. I've been waiting for this moment for, for years and it's so good. And the reason I think it's great is that, for all the cheering and clapping, they knew that audiences would be doing at this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a horrifying moment. Oh yeah, like it's 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 disturbingly violent and just awful. And especially not just because, again, like we talked about with Sansa last week. Not just because Joffrey is a child. You know, he's a teenager, but he's a kid. And this is a terrifying thing to happen, especially from Cersei's perspective as as a mother, um, and, and Jamie's as a father. <laughs> right. But it's just the way he goes out is so horrid, and just you know his the, his face gets all bloated and, and purple, and blood's
0: coming out of everywhere, and it's and, and they it's hold a, on it for a really long time. They really yeah, don't. yeah, it,
1: it takes a while for him to go, and I think part of it is that. Um, Joffrey has this psychopathic, you know, uh, uh, masochistic character. And I, this is almost a challenge from the show writers, I think. It's like, are you going to take pleasure in this? Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reason you're taking pleasure in this is that you hate this character who took pleasure in violence against and, and murder and death.
0: Right. And, so it, and you know, that's And that's,
1: that's part of it from... That's straight from the book, too, and I think it plays really well in the show because you totally... Just, just the visual of it, and and even worse, the fact that no one except Cersei and Jamie get up. No one. Everyone else stands there, and you have. Well, um, Marjorie
0: does say that someone should help him.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. She says, she, and um, and uh, Lady Olena says, you know, he's your king. Get up.
0: Right, right, right. But nobody
1: does. Everyone just stands there because when you get right down to it, nobody likes Joffrey. And if, can you, if you can imagine, that's your, you know, that's your last moment. Is you know lying on the ground dying, and there's hundreds of people there. Nobody wants to help you, it's a, right? It's a sad not
0: not that I think someone necessarily could help. Um, that's true. Which is you know the other thing is like you know I don't, that's the, the problem you always run into in these alternate universe. You know, is it old? Is it new? What's you know what sort of technology do they have? Like, so let's say for let's assume for a moment that someone's like drowning. You know, do they have CPR? Or do they know any of these things? Is there, so like I have no idea in this case what anyone could do. Um, but of course nobody was really moving all that fast to Well,
1: yeah, I mean, with the, with it. with it being poison, like,
0: there's yeah. only so much
1: you can do. It's not like, yeah, it's like he was just choking on a little bit of pie. Right, <laughs> right. It was clear.
0: much, it was much more, uh, sinister than that. Um, the one thing I will say about this scene, and it was something that kind of bothered me is, um, because I feel like, I feel like I know where this is going, um, is I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm genuinely upset with the idea that. Tyrion could honestly get blamed for that situation. Um I don't know what's going to happen next, but I do I get the impression that he's going to end up getting the uh, the shaft for this and I and I feel like that's really improbable. Like it, generally you can manufacture facts or whatever and do all the things that you're going to do to like, you know, manipulate your way, you know, in King's Landing. But at this moment, honestly, hundreds of people were all there and they all saw something that was entirely Joffrey's doing that forced, you know, this wine into, you know, that particular jug of wine into his mouth. He had an absolutely no... Um, and, and it's not even clear if it was the pie or the wine, too. That's the other thing. Um, so, it was, to me, it's like... That would be an insane plan if that was Tyrion's plan to somehow murder the king. So, like, <laughs> I don't understand how anyone could honestly blame it on him when he does not Well,
1: the thing is, though, I th- I disagree because... You know, let's assume that the the poison is in, in the wine. It, it, that's what it seems to be, because it's when he drinks the wine that it starts to happen. Sure. They Joffrey he, Tyrion had just spent five minutes with Joffrey doing a thing, handling this cup. He had plenty of time, you know, and and Sansa too, by the way. As far as they know, that you know, that's his wife. She's another too to put something in this cup uh, that you know, some kind of poison or something.
0: Perhaps he, perhaps he could have, but everyone was staring at them as this all happened. So that's why I'm confused. Well, that's
1: true. I mean, and, but then you you also have the king implicating him in his final moment, which is kind of the last draw no matter <laughs> right. what.
0: You know, and it's actually, it's important, In, in uh, this was one thing that was changed from the book, apparently, that, that he points at Tyrion in the book, but there's a lot of confusion and chaos and things going on. And uh, in, in the show, that's not what happens. He points at Tyrion and everyone... Looks at Tyrion, and Cersei's like, "It's Tyrion." So yeah. it's it's a lot clearer that he's implicating Tyrion in, in his own death. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and you know, to the best of his knowledge, it, to his twisted perception of things, it probably is. You know, that's the thing because everyone kind of hates Tyrion already. Right. There's no real risk in implicating him. There's enough circumstantial evidence to suggest that. Well, there's he no reason he couldn't have it's not like he wasn't there um but like if there was another if there was anyone else there who might could have done it their standing is too high to risk
0: implicating them in well this he's thing. dying i feel like he can do whatever he wants but it's also like even if it wasn't well, I mean, him for the
1: rest of the for like cersei at this point too
0: right right that's for sure um but but also for joffrey i think it was you know whether or not it was Tyrion, i don't think he also he also might not care i think he this could be his last moment to like kill his uncle who he seems to hate anyway so um or at least put him through some serious you know trouble uh so i think that it was a moment of joffrey either out of spite or honestly believing that he was poisoned um he, that's why he pointed at Tyrion. um so you know we'll see what happens i just i find it i will find it will be it will be truly the the biggest spin i've ever seen in any political <laughs> or otherwise drama if they somehow managed to depend on Tyrion, considering mm-hmm. that everyone was well, there. Well,
1: yeah, the the problem is they have, you know, a lot of the people who could testify as witnesses at that wedding, they have under their thumb, so...
0: Well, and couldn't... also some of them are, you know, whoever was actually responsible...
1: That's true. Someone, also doesn't... someone there is going to want to cover their tracks.
0: Right, exactly, so, you know, assuming they and were there.
1: By the way, I will say this. Um, uh, there's obviously, if you don't know who did it, uh, the show makes p- no kind of implication towards any particular person, but if you do know who did it, they show exactly what happened on screen.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> Which is kind of amazing. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's yeah, because I got nothing. <laughs> it's
1: going to be a very Usual Suspects kind of thing. It's wow. Like he, something, the tiniest detail. Um, yes, it's funny. Do you? Um, who Who was your number one suspect? Do you think
0: oh. from your perspective. Um, I can only assume it was the Tyrells, and only because, uh, Marjorie still gets to be queen, I'm assuming, unless they, something weird happens, she still gets to be, like, she's not gone. So I wouldn't say it's any of the, uh, Lannisters, obviously, because they are invested in Joffrey being king, and as much as they think he's crazy, I don't think they hate him that much. I really don't think it's Tyrion. Uh, I don't think it's Sansa. Uh, although it could be, I guess. Um, I think it's... A, it, there's a good bet that it's the Tyrells just because it allows them to keep, just like Cersei ended up becoming Queen Regent even though her husband died. Um, sort of by proxy, Marjorie will end up becoming Queen because Joffrey died, even though they were only married for like a couple of hours. Um, so that's my guess. I have absolutely no idea, though.
1: <laughs> I, I think there's definitely a lot of people at this wedding. To, to look to. Oh, exactly. Just,
0: I mean, it could be Oberyn, it could be a lot of it, people, but just it, in yeah, terms of I think, power, I, think, I you would
1: know. think that Oberyn would be high on their list, I would think that even, well, like...
0: Well, you know, I would expect him to make an attempt on Tywin or somebody else, like, Joffrey, as much as he sucks, I don't know that he has a direct problem with. You know what I mean? That's true, yeah. So, I could see Oberyn, like, doing something to, like, one of the other Lannisters, I just in that particular, just because Tywin was involved and his relative and he did have that back and forth with him but also they just they make all these empty threats to each other prior and none of them seem all that important or big um and it's really the the tyrells that just stuck out to me i, I don't know though um how that's gonna turn out um, Well, they, they should reveal it soon i think i think so um so one last thing i just want to say i, I want to quote a friend of mine who said uh in a status on facebook um Without spoiling without him spoiling the episode I think he, he, he sort of captured it he said uh, oh <laughs> he had just watched the uh, the most recent episode and he said oh wow a sudden unexpected quote-unquote twist in Game of Thrones where a character dies gasp oh no I absolutely totally did not see that coming after the last <laughs> 20 ta- 29 times it happened yeah. um, which and I at thought a wedding,
1: no less and at a
0: wedding no less and I think that there is something to be said for how quick the turnaround was between one wedding and the next um, I think that it would have been a good it would have It made more sense at the end of a book. I can see how this could be a conclusion to a book to sort of balance out the scales in terms of the Starks dying and then Joffrey dying. Um, having said that, these, I don't know how they could make an exciting climax at this point. Like, not in this season, just in the show in general. Like, the the, the final wedding, uh, the Red Wedding in the last season was exciting, sure, but um, and a lot of important characters died. But, like, I feel like they've set the bar so that you know, the only way they can make it more exciting is if more people, like, 15 people die next time, you know, or, like, an even more important person dies next time. Um, so for me, I liked this scene being so early on in the show, in this season, because um, it's sort of like, yeah, people are going to die all the time in the show. You can't make that the climax. You have to make something crazy the climax. Like, dragons are a thing. That was a climax. You know, somebody dying is not as nearly as much of a climax, uh, especially at this point, now that, like, so many important characters have died. Um, so, I'm glad that this was early in the season, because I'm excited to see where it goes from here. This is, like, like, my threshold for excitement needs to be at, like, people dying every couple of episodes, and then something even crazier should happen for the climax. But that's my, you know, that's my...
1: It's also, well, it's also the position, the fact that it's not just a character, it's the king. Right. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. I think that's really not, not just who he is and the audience response to the death because of who he is to, you know, to, uh, Westeros to the seven kingdoms. This is a big deal. Right. Um, so it's, it should be interesting to see how it, yeah, it's not just like when, uh, we had the red wedding last season. Right. That was, a, that was one thing and obviously that, that was a major shift in the way the show worked because, uh, the war was pretty much over from that point on. But now, um, the one stable, seemingly stable place in Westeros is, in complete chaos, right? To this event. I'm very excited so you, to yeah, see. Yeah, so you're right, um, and I I do agree that um, he George R. R. Martin spends a lot of time after the Red Wedding trying to top the Red Wedding, right? Um,
0: yeah, exactly, for
1: sure. And you know, it's so it's I, I you know I agree that character death kind of can get a little tedious in terms of in terms of a twist after a while, but on the other hand, I think just from the perspective of it depends on who the characters are. In no, it horror. does.
0: It's just for me it's like, oh, one Stark died in season one and then, you know what, two Starks die in season two and then, you know. Um but I again I, I I'm liking this. I'm not I'm not complaining about it. I'm saying I, I like this as an intro and it certainly is different than as you said it would be. Uh different than the um the usual slow burn for the first couple episodes. So um I'm excited to see what happens next.
1: Yeah. Uh, next week's episode is called "Breaker
0: of Chains." Oh,
1: um, that sounds
0: like a Daenerys thing.
1: That, that I agree. I definitely think it, it does refer to Daenerys, but of course it'll you know, in Game of Thrones fashion, it'll probably have seven different right meanings, secret meanings, yes. and whatever. Um, so we'll we'll see you for that episode next week.
0: All right, sounds good. I look forward to talking about it. Mm-hmm. All right.